shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, it's Friday. Once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. And with me always is my faithful companion, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing? I'm good, man. Am, am I the Sancho Panza to your Don Quixote? Is that what it is? You know, I, I've got a, I've got an your interesting thing. Let, let's let's take this one step further, okay? Because I want to share an email with you that I didn't send to you on purpose. Um, but uh, we probably need to have this discussion. So I think it's a good point. This comes from Terry in Idaho, and Terry wants to. Oh, he's very very complimentary of the show. Big fan. Very entertaining. Uh, since he sent it to me, he said, you're very entertaining. So I think he's just saying me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what he said was, I'd be interested to know, if we were in Star Wars, what character would you and Kelly be? <laughs> so I thought about it, and I was like, well, I don't know. But I wonder, you know, how would that would work out? So if we were in... If we were in a Star Wars movie, would we be partners? Would we be uh, adversaries? I mean, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, what character would we play? I, I'm interested to know what character you think you'd be. Well, I'm obviously Han Solo, and you'd be Chewbacca. Really? Really? Yeah. So we'd be partners that way? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I can go for that. So, Terry, I think that's your answer. So <laughs> uh, the ego of Kelly Grayson is going to say Han Solo. And uh, we know what happens to him in the end. And, All you uh, have to do is see Chris with his shirt off to know that he's Chewbacca. Nice. Very funny. Very funny. <laughs> so, Kelly, what's going on, man? How are things? Oh, man, it's great. I'm, uh, I've been busier than a, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Uh, I've got a hybrid refresher coming up. been prepping for that. So, oh, awesome. first time first time doing a class of that type. Hopefully, it'll take off and uh, it'll work well. So, is that going to be like half online, half in, in person or...? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a multidisciplinary hybrid refresher. Uh, going to have a, a bunch of online components and, and a, a short, a couple of days of uh, skills and knowledge integration sessions. And we're going to do uh, EMT, advanced EMT, and paramedic all in the same classroom at the same time. So interesting, interesting. So, so let me ask you this, and that's yeah. not where we were going to go, but since you brought it up. We're, and, you know, I, I've said it before, and, you know, we joke about each other and, you know, uh, you know, rib each other. But I've said that you're one of the premier educators that we have in our career field. And a lot of people respect your, uh, you know, your blogs and, and, you know, they come to your standing room only when they go to your classes. So I, I'd really be interested to, to know your thoughts on this as an educator now when you're starting to move into the component. And I know this is your first time you're starting to move into the component of some you know, technological uh, virtual classroom, how do you ensure, or, or what do you think the answer would be that you are now going to be able to keep all learning styles involved, i.e., you know, we have a visual learner uh, looking at the screen, but now you've got the verbal, uh, um, you know, the auditory learner, now you've got the kinesthetic learner. Mm -hmm. And I've always been worried about that as I've developed online curriculum of how am I going to be able to keep the all learning styles engaged. I mean, as you start this process, do you have a thought about that? Yeah. Well, what I try to do is is synthesize all three learning styles into as many lessons as I can. Hopefully, every lesson uh, will employ some facet of you know AVK learning. Uh, 
uh, or all three facets of AVK learning. Uh, it's not always possible to do that, but that's what we that's what we strive to do. And and I think the main the the main advantage of of hybrid classrooms or the flipped classroom concept is is that students uh, get knowledge acquisition by their own preferred methods and at their own pace. Um, and they they can uh, or students can can acquire that knowledge online or, or in whatever uh, method suits them best. Uh, and then I work on how to integrate that knowledge into practice in the classroom. So, um, you know, it kind of, it, it turns the, the educational paradigm on its ear, but it, it seems to be working for a great many people. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing it. Yeah. And one of the things, do you do, um, do you do learning style inventories uh, before you yeah. start class? So you'll know there. Well, not with, not with the refresher that I'm doing, but, uh, um, cause we, we kind of have to have a, we have a template that we pretty much have to follow. And, and, uh, but, uh, for our, uh, our full initial classes like EMT and advanced EMT classes, we'll be doing that. So it'd be interesting to know if you did a learning styles inventory before, um, you did this hybrid or mm-hmm. flip classes and a lot of people went to flip classes and I, I know a lot of educators are starting to move back to the classroom, but, uh, it'd be interesting to know the percentage or, or the types of learners and how they did with a hybrid component. So, yeah, you know. I, I think, uh, I think the main thing is you, you have to, you can't focus on one to the exclusion of the other. Um, you know, you, you actually have to be more dynamic and instructor, uh, in a flipped classroom because you, you've got students, um, your, your classroom time is at a premium. Uh, you have to make the absolute most of it. Uh, you don't, no longer do you have a captive audience that you can just drone and on and on and, and, uh, subject them to death by PowerPoint. So they have to make the most of it. And it, and I'm learning that it takes a heck of a lot more prep time uh, to prep for a hybrid classroom than it is uh, a traditional classroom. You know, I can you can hand me a PowerPoint lecture and a and a uh, remote control, and I can uh, I can wing it ninety nine point nine percent of the time and and deliver a good lecture. Uh, but to do it in a in a flipped classroom where I'm not focusing on on all the minutia, uh, more on application of the knowledge they've already obtained, it's a little harder to do. Yeah, it is. And I think that one of the things that you have available to you as well is it's not just the lecture, but there could be little vignettes of podcasts that go with it to say there are. Yeah. So if you don't understand this, go ahead and listen to this. If you don't understand this or, or, you know, just some added information. And I kind of like the online uh, model, of course, as as we start to move forward, everything is online and I can't get used to reading yet online. I, I still have to print stuff out to read it. I guess that's just being old and needing to see it. But um, I kind of like the online learning, so I'd be interested to know. Maybe we can talk about it as it goes and, and some of those learning less, uh, lessons learned as you go forward. Uh, this might be a good show at the end. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I may just drag the class into a podcast studio one day, and we'll, we'll do a live, live recording from a class. Yeah, that'd be awesome. No, man, we get them students on and hear what their mm-hmm. opinions are, and, and, and let's see if we can uh, yeah. make it entertaining for the listeners. But yeah. I know we got some news, man, so why don't you go ahead and jump into that? I'm, uh, I'm looking at a story out of Denton, North Carolina, um, where they're having, uh, they're having a great deal of success with the pilot program involving an EMS quick response vehicle. 
and I think it uh, it it demonstrates the potential of these out of the box uh, concepts or out of the box approaches to uh, reducing response times and and to easing demand on the systems. Davidson County EMS officials uh, praised their new quick response vehicle for Southern Davidson County. They're only four months into the private uh, pilot program, and their their quick response vehicle, designated QR four. Um, uh, has been running and um, really reducing their response times, um, really easing the burden on the rest of the system, and it looks like it's a, it's going to be money well spent. And they'll hopefully, uh, from from reading the article, they're they're going to continue on with it or, or try to extend it beyond the pilot phase and actually implement it. And that's that's something we've done in our area too. We have we have quick response vehicles that have done uh, wonders for reducing our response time in in uh, our areas and and uh, reducing the burden on on the uh, transport crews. Hey Kelly, for those who don't know what that means, give them a little definition. Well, a quick response vehicle or a sprint vehicle, whatever you want to call it, is a uh, is basically a lightly outfitted uh, suburban or explorer, something along those lines, um, and they're usually staffed by a single paramedic or supervisor, whose whose purpose is to uh, sprint these calls as they come in, uh, stop the clock, uh, the dispatch clock, once they arrive on scene, and render care until a transport unit arrives. And you know, in in our area, our our population and and traffic congestion has gone up like thirty percent in the last few years, and it's only going to get worse with the the industry and the growth in our area. So we were struggling to meet response times, and because of the uh, the additional population, uh, the hospitals have a lot of wall time, and and we're we're tied up. Uh, babysitting patients on stretchers in the hospital forever so uh we we had to figure out some way to get our response times down to uh, an acceptable uh interval and uh the qrvs were were it for us so uh they've they really turned the tide and, and got us back to where we want to be i think that one of the things is important here is that a lot of a lot of places uh you know that are high performance ems systems you're not allowed to stop the clock unless the transporting vehicle gets mm-hmm. on scene and i think that one of the things that is is good is that you guys get to stop that clock mm-hmm. because they are they have received somebody that can deliver care to them you know my question to you is you know because you talked about helping with response times in, in your system specifically um are they able to call the ambulance off and say you know patient just needed their blood pressure checked or everything's okay here you don't need to come or does the responding or the transporting uh vehicle still need to come and and uh, uh before they're disregarded no, not necessarily. They'll if it's going to be an obvious refusal or something like that, or just a uh, a, a customer service issue. Uh, what we call service first. Um, our, our QRVs and our supervisor trucks will handle those fairly well, and and uh, usually we'll cancel an ambulance if it's uh, if there's no possibility of transporting someone. Well, let's go to my story. My story, Kelly, goes to Washington D.C. and. Uh, <laughs> Low, the low-hanging fruit. But uh, this is not a bad story, man. I think we got to give them – I mean, you and I have been critical of DC Fire and some yes, of the things yeah. that they've went through and some of the challenges. But we've got to go ahead and give some kudos out to uh, DC Fire because the DC ambulance was stuck in the snow and a paramedic walks to patient to deliver care. So after mm-hmm. two DC Fire and EMS ambulances became stuck, paramedic Kenneth Lyons walked through the deep snow to reach the patient. And I think that it could have been very, very easy for them to stay with the vehicle and uh, not, uh, you know, got to the, the to the patient's side 
but uh, went ahead and walked to the patient and delivered care. And I think we've got to give those kudos out because yep. that is uh, above and beyond his duty. And, uh, you know, he made it to the patient. He delivered care. And, uh, you know, there was no excuses there. So, uh, you know, we're, we're very quick to judge uh, D.C. Fire and some of the challenges they've had. But I think this is something where they, uh, you know, this paramedic, Kenneth Lyon, mm -hmm. steps up and he delivers the highest quality of patient care and shows the professionalism of that department. Indeed, you know, and... and uh, if we're going to be uh, quick to criticize, we also need to be quick to praise. So, so good on you, Kenneth. Uh, you you did the job the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, and it's in situations like that, it's it's all too easy not to. Uh, I I don't know if you recall a similar situation um, back during the bad snowstorm in in uh, Pittsburgh several years back, where the uh, the gentleman died because the paramedics. Uh, were stuck in the snow. Transport unit was stuck in the snow, and they couldn't uh, they couldn't make it to the patient's house uh, and asked them to bring the patient out to him. Uh, and uh, the patient wound up dying as a result of it, uh, or dying. Uh, don't know if it was that was the direct result. Uh, but they were uh, they were unable to get to the patient. Um, now they had. Uh, if I recall, they had down power lines, or and wasn't sure the snow was deep enough. They didn't weren't sure of their footing and and what they'd be dangers they'd be stepping on. Um, but you know, um, as much as we've criticized DC Fire EMS in the past, those very excuses could have been used this time around. And Kenneth Lyons didn't use those excuses and and uh, uh, rendered patient care the way it ought to be done. So good on you, Kenneth found an interesting story out of Drexel University in Pennsylvania. Out of Philly, uh, their school of public health determined that EMTs and paramedics are 14 times more likely to be violently injured on the job than the firefighters that work alongside. How many, how many percent? 14 times more likely oh. to be violently assaulted than the firefighters they work with. Crazy. Um, the way this got started is they were looking at, at this as a gender study to see why uh, why female uh, firefighters were more likely to be assaulted uh, when someone suggested, well, what, you need to look at the, the, job, uh, uh, the job classification because females are far more likely to be paramedics rather than single-role firefighters once you look at it that way. So uh, when they started breaking it down, they found out that, that the uh, rate of uh, assaults uh, on firefighters on, uh, firefighters is dwarfed by the rate of uh, assaults on paramedics and EMTs. And it makes me wonder, it, why are we assaulted more than firefighters? I think part of it is due to uh, uh, our transport role. Um, Kip has pointed this out in the past in his, uh, his EVE courses, that it's not our job to take custody of a patient, and that's where a great deal of assaults on uh, and violence on EMS providers take place, is because we thought we had to take someone somewhere, even against their will. Whereas, if you're a, uh, a firefighter doing a scene first response and not in a transport role, uh, you're not often having to make that decision. So, uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with the higher rate of uh, assaults for the uh, paramedics and EMTs. Yeah, and I think one of the things to consider as well is a, a lot of times we are on scene with just our partner. And, yeah. you know, depending on the, you know, the size of our partner could be a, you know, 110 pound female, you know, could be a 350 pound uh, um, country boy, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've been on scene and I'm a pretty stocky guy and my partner was a pretty mm -hmm. stocky guy and things could have gone south and they didn't. 
you know, I think one of the things uh, to think about is when you talk about fire, uh, a fire company that comes in, usually it's three people. And when you walk into somebody's home and there's three guys in there uh, who are obviously in, in good shape, are, are you apt to be as froggy as mm-hmm. you would when it's just a male with a female partner? So I think that some of that has to do with it as well. And uh, But, you know, we, we've got to be able to pay attention to what's going on out mm-hmm. there. And you and I are talking about it a lot. And last week we were talking about do we arm our, our first responders? Is mm-hmm. it time to arm, arm our first responders? And right after that show, Kelly, the story came out. And, and actually I'll transition to my story, which was January 23rd, where a North Little Rock volunteer firefighter was shot and killed. Yeah. You know, he walked into somebody's house. The call was for a seizure. He walked into somebody's house. Whatever happened inside happened inside, and it left this volunteer firefighter dead. And we really need to be concerned about that our people who are um, going to work in the morning may not come home at the end of their shift. And I know that, you know, if you're a family of a police officer, the realization is when they walk out of the door, you don't know if they're going to come home. I got to tell you, man, it's coming to the days now in paramedicine that do we need to start considering the same aspect? Yeah. You know, and these are the calls that kill us, Uh, not the assaults or the drug overdoses or the riots or anything like that, because those scenes we stage and wait for law enforcement to secure the scene before we even enter. It's the innocuous calls that go rodeo uh, with no warning that, that wind up killing us. And, it, and sadly, it took Ronald Jason Adams' life uh, for uh, the Pulaski County uh, Fire Department there. And um, the news story just uh, um, in the past couple of days says that the, uh, the shooter, Mark Pruitt, uh, has been arrested for manslaughter. So uh, we'll see how that plays out, but it's, you know, it's becoming increasingly obvious that there is no such thing as a safe scene. Um, There are just varying degrees of danger, and uh, um, we all, when we put on the uniform, uh, as you said, we, we stand a good chance of not coming home sometimes. You know, one of the things that is concerning too in this situation is we may have to be able, we may need to reevaluate how we're responding to these calls. Mm-hmm. Because the, from my understanding, and I may be wrong, but from my understanding, the, the gentleman went into the patient's home prior to the uh, fire company responding. So this was an individual that kind of first responded, got to the scene first. Uh, went into the person's house. Here's a patient that's a, a seizure patient, um, uh, could be postictal at this time. And because one of the things that he says at, in the bottom of the article, Pruitt was let out of the sheriff's office late Friday in a white jumpsuit and handcuffs. When he asked why he shot Adams, he said, somebody came in my house. A so, single person doesn't, you know, doesn't ring those, those EMS response bells or doesn't, doesn't exactly. seem like firefighter. Um, it's, uh, it's a sad situation all the way around and, and our prayers to, uh, to, uh, firefighter Adams family. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I've got one for you and this just warms the cockles of my evil little heart. Uh, this, we can file this under play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This comes, <laughs> this comes out of Placerville, California, where two sus- suspects, uh, 
were running from police and fled into the woods uh, and wound up uh, turning their police pursuit into a rescue because in hiding from the police, uh, they got hypothermic and suffered from exposure and had to have the good guys <laughs> come get them. Uh, I just, oh, I just, I... <laughs> It just makes me want to giggle maniacally when I think of that. Uh, these guys running from the cops and then, you know, gets a little cold, a little uncomfortable. They're like, oh, here we are, guys. Come get us. We're cold. Yeah, I mean, I once uh, was on a scene of a guy that has evaded the cops and he was lost in a cornfield. So under the Play Stupid Games, Win Stupid Prizes category, I don't know if you saw the story, and this wasn't on EMS1, but there were two guys who were taking... Uh, 20 pounds of marijuana through the state of something. And when they entered, obviously they were indulging in the product as well from the article. And, uh, and actually there was audio of this. So they're driving through the state. They just got into the state lines and they are paranoid that the cops are following them. Weed smokers paranoid. No, say it's not. And, so. But Kelly, listen, <laughs> So they pull over at the gas station and they say, okay, we're here at the corner. All your guys are around us. Come and get us. And the, the dispatcher's on the other end, and there's an audio call of this. The dispatcher's on the other end basically saying, what are you talking about? Well, you know, your guys are here, and we know that we did wrong, and we have this marijuana. And and they came and arrested them. See, I'm, I'm thinking flashes of super troopers. Where they're saying, you know, we're arresting you boys for littering and littering and littering and, and smoking the reefer. <laughs> I That's wonder if awesome snozberries actually taste like snozberries. So, you know, I mean, that was an awesome movie. And I think that uh, uh, if they get ever get that second one done, I think that's going to be cool. As oh, yeah. So, Kelly, I think uh, let's go ahead and do it, man. Let's get yeah, up on out of here. Some, uh, we've had some good news stories this week. And uh, we'd like to hear what you uh, you think about uh, the latest EMS news and, and events and uh, what you think of hybrid classrooms that we discussed a little while today. So email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Civilero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.